The events surrounding the birth of Jesus are well documented in the New Testament. We're given a lot of information about that. Uh, the angelic visits to Zacharias, then the angelic visit to Mary, and then the dream that was given to Joseph. The details concerning the birth of the Lord that are found uh, in the New Testament. Apart from that, we are only given one uh, glimpse into the childhood of the Lord. The Bible does not reveal to us at what moment uh, in his life that the Lord realized that he was not the son of Joseph, but that he was the son of God. We do not know exactly of what the circumstances were when that realization took place. What we do know is that it took place uh, before he was 12 years old. So I want to take a look tonight at this particular event in the life of our Lord that is, is referenced and it's kind of, yeah, you know what happened. He, he amazed the doctors in the, in the temple and then we, you know, we, we kind of go on and don't really dig into it to see what we can get out of it. But we want to do that tonight. In the 41st verse, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year to the feast of the Passover. This is another tribute to Joseph. Amen. The mother, I'm excuse the mother, Joseph, the husband of Mary, well, I got ahead of myself, didn't I? Of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Joseph, the guardian of our Lord Jesus Christ. Joseph led that family. And you know where he did? He took his family to church. Took his family to church. He took Mary and uh, the Lord Jesus, even as a young child. They went every year. Now that is a principle that is uh, desperately needed in the world in which we live today. We live in a world of chaos. We live in a world of, of ungodliness, unruliness, lawlessness, and a lot of it has to do to the fact that the family unit, uh, in many instances, has been destroyed and, or has been altered. Men need God, and the church needs men. Amen. I'm going to say that again. Because that's an original quote. I didn't, I didn't read that from somewhere else. Men need God. That's who we need. And the church needs men who realize their need for God. Now, without getting into this whole uh, deal about uh, uh, gender qualifications and stuff that have to do in the Bible, the Bible is very clear for the responsibilities of men, the responsibilities of husbands, and the responsibilities of fathers. And when uh, the church has strong men, the church is strong. I'm not saying, and I'm not disrespecting the contribution of the ladies in the church to any degree whatsoever. Because here's the difference. When the men are strong, the church is strong. But without the ladies, there ain't no church. Amen. Now, I thought I'd get some ladies to say, praise God. Without the ladies, there ain't no church. Amen. So uh, we appreciate the, the, the efforts to contribute and the blessing that uh, women are in the church. Without women, there ain't no church. But a church with strong men is a strong church. Joseph was a good example. He took his family to church. Every year they went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. Now verse 42, And when he, Jesus, was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. Now, take this also into account. They had other children by this time. Jesus was the oldest child in the family, but Mary and Joseph have had children 
by the time Jesus is 12 years old. So you got, and we don't know how many there were. We know they were sons and daughters because uh, the New Testament reveals that to us later on in the life of the Lord. But by this time, there are younger siblings, if you will, of the Lord in the family. He's 12 years old. That means other children have already been born. They may have had a little baby, uh, carrying a baby by this time. They may have had a couple of kids in their twos and threes and fours or whatever. We don't know exactly what that is. We do know that Mary and Joseph had their own children following the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the Roman Catholic Church will tell you, whoa, hold on. That Greek word can also uh, mean cousins. It could, but that is not the case here. Jesus had half-brothers, half-sisters in the nuclear family, Joseph and Mary's nuclear family. So they go on to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover. They do it every year, and this particular instant took place when Jesus was 12 years old. We don't know at what age he realized who he was, but we do know in subsequent scriptures we're about to cover that he was aware of who he was by the time he was 12 years old. Verse 43, And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. I ask, pardon me, my medication is giving me a dry mouth. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey. They sought him among their kinsfolks and acquaintance. When they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem seeking him. Now, just to look at this on a, uh, the, the, uh, the surface of it, if you will, you go, Lord, have mercy. What kind of parents are Joseph and Mary? That they go, you know, a couple of days' journey without the Lord. They just assume that he's with some of the family or they assume that he is with some of the friends. I don't take this as a criticism of Joseph and Mary. I take this as their confidence in the Lord. I know, many of you have children. Um, we don't know what it's like to raise a sinless child. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great to raise a child you never had to discipline? I get a yeah, amen. That you did, never had to that you never had to worry about. Who never did anything wrong? whom you never had to give a whoop. We don't do that no more. We give time out. Boy, what I'd give for a time out when I was a kid. Put that belt up, Daddy. I get a time out because if you hit me with that one more time, I'm going to the police. They lock you up. So we give them time out. How about a child you never had to give a time out to? I mean, a child, when you said, please do this, they went and did it without, I don't want to do it. I don't feel like it. You know, we are, or, or you said, Hand me the remote, and they handed it to you. Of course, they didn't have remotes back in, but you understand the principle I'm, I'm applying here. Jesus was a perfect child, so it's understandable that they didn't give it a second thought because they knew he's 12 years old, he's not done anything wrong yet. But they go a couple of days in, they can't find him anywhere. So what do they do? They turn around, haul it back to Jerusalem, and you would think, and I could, I'm not trying to be critical of them, but you would think Mary and Joseph both, the first place they would look would be the temple. That'd be the first place I'd look. If, if I were in their shoes, if I were Mary and the angel Gabriel, and I gave birth to a child, and I was a virgin, and I gave birth to a child, amen, and everything that Gabriel told me, how special this child was, and that this child shall be called the Son of God, 
And, and Joseph also, in the dream, all that information that he was given, the first place I was looking for the temple. But for whatever reason, they didn't go to the temple first. <coughs> Excuse me. They went to other places searching for him, trying to find him. Verse 46 says, And it came to pass that after three days they found him, guess where? In the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. Twelve years old, and he's teaching the teachers. And, and they're, they're, what are they discussing? They're discussing what we refer to as the Old Testament. They're discussing the law. They're discussing the history of the nation of Israel. They're, you know, they're discussing uh, uh, the issues that have to do with temple worship. And this 12-year-old child has more understanding than all of them put together. He's not only here, he's listening to what they have to say, and he's asking them questions. And the questions that he is asking are so profound that they are dumbfounded at it. They are amazed at what's coming out of this child. They were astonished at his understanding and answers. Because this 12-year-old boy, at a time of which we are unaware has come to the realization that he is not the son of Joseph. He is the son of God. When Jesus spoke, he spoke as no man has ever spake before. Look at John chapter 7, verse 45. Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, Why have you not brought him? The officers answered, Never man spake like this man. He not only astonishing people by the words coming out of his mouth when he's 12, but when he's 30 and 31 and 32 and 33, he is still astonishing people at the words that are coming out of his mouth. That officer said, never man spake like this man. John chapter 4, verse number 29, we all know the story about the woman at the well. What did she say when she went back to town? Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ. She wanted to engage him in a religious debate. Y'all worship on the temple. We worship on this mountain. And the Lord just cut to the chase. He said, woman, I know you. I know your life. I know your past. I know your history. I know your pain. I know why you're here at the well at 12 noon in the heat of the day. Praise God. But I have something more to tell you than the fact that I'm aware of who and what you are. If you ask me for water, I will give you living water. Woo! And you will never thirst again. He wasn't talking about H2O. He was talking about that living water of the Spirit. Praise God. He was talking about living water. Amen. Never man spake like this. Luke 4 and 36. They were all amazed and spake among themselves saying, What a word is this? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. I'm here to tell you, when Jesus speaks, things happen. Amen. And it's still happening today. When Jesus speaks, things happen. Amen. When Jesus says you're saved, you're saved. When Jesus says you're healed, you're healed. When Jesus said you're delivered, you're delivered. When Jesus says you're blessed, guess what? You're blessed for no other reason than he said it. Amen.
Verse 48. When they saw him, they were amazed, and his mother said unto him, Son, why have you thus dealt with us? Behold, your father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that you sought me? Don't you know that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. Son, you were us to death. You wasn't with Aunt Leroy and Uncle Vestal or whoever their names were in the Hebrew. And you weren't with the friends. You weren't with the company, you know, heading back. And we come back here, we've been looking for you for three days. Just tore up with worry. And Lord's like, what are you, <laughs> what are you worried about? Don't you know? Don't you remember? What Jesus is saying to them is, don't you know who I am? And that I must be about my father's business. Not Joseph's business. God's business. He was in his father's house. He was about his father's business. In Matthew 12 and 50, talking about Jesus' relationship with God and that God is his father. Jesus says, For whosoever shall do the will of my father which is in heaven, the same as my brother and sister and mother. In the uh, 16th chapter, 27th verse, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his father, not Joseph. With his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. In Mark 8 and 38, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Luke 10 and 22, All things are delivered to me of my Father, and no man knows who the Son is but the Father, and who the Father is but the Son, and he to whom the Son will reveal him. Then in John 17 and 21, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. He is making the connection, the identification of who he is and who he, his Father is. Listen, listen, listen. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You want to go to heaven? You embrace that truth. You want to go to heaven? You believe that with all of your heart. Because it's faith in that truth will revolutionize your life. Amen. You want to be born again? You believe that. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Who's going to heaven, Brother Andy? Everybody who believes. I'm not talking about just agreeing with historical fact. I'm talking about believing that truth in your heart. When you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, when you believe that he is alive from the dead and lives even as I speak and is seated at the right hand of the Father, his Father making intercession for everybody who calls on his name. Glory to God. Man, that's shouting ground. He loves me. He loves me. I believe in him. He saved me. But that's, that's just more. See, people got have this like acute experience in their eye. Well, I'll just go down and do a little deal in sinner's prayer. I'll go back and I'll live any way I want to. Faith in Jesus Christ will not allow you to go back to that old sinful life. 
Faith in Jesus Christ will not allow you to do that. You will no longer be, if you've ever been saved, you will no longer be comfortable in a sinful lifestyle because faith in Jesus will not allow it. Faith in Jesus transforms us. Ask Zacchaeus, who used to be a crooked little man, but who is saved today. Did y'all know that Zacchaeus in heaven? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. You know, I reference him often. I love Zacchaeus. I'm looking forward to speaking to him in the kingdom of God. We may sit down, you know, at a table for a few hundred thousand years and just talk it over. But he was a crook until he believed in When he saw him, he had heard about him. He wanted to see him, but when he saw him for himself, he believed. And when he believed, his life was changed. His mind was renewed. He didn't think like the old Zacchaeus thought. He thinks like the new Zacchaeus thinks now. Lord, I give half what I own to the poor, and if I've defrauded anybody, I'll restore to them fourfold. Money was no longer his God. Jesus was his God. And because of that, his life radically changed. If you look at the biographies of the 12 disciples, their lives radically changed from very different and in some cases opposing backgrounds. You got a zealot and a tax collector in the same group. It's a wonder they didn't come to blows. But they didn't. Why? Because they believed in Jesus. You know what the apostles teach us? The disciples turned apostles. That Jesus can save anybody. And not only can he save anybody, but he can use everybody that he saves to work in his kingdom. Amen. I don't care who you are or what you've done. I don't care what your reputation in the community may be. Your name may be a byword. You may be the, 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 the end of, of a lot of jokes. People may call your name and, and laugh at you and deride you. That's all right. Because when Jesus saves you, you become a new creature. Old things are passed away. Now the devil tried to remind you of that. But praise God, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Amen. It's a joy to tell the devil that that old man's dead. My sins are forgiven. Yours aren't. I'm going to heaven. You're not. I'm going to enjoy eternity. Not you, bud. You're going to be tormented for eternity. Why? Because Jesus... Because Jesus is the Son of God. And he makes reference to this time and time and time again. Who do men say that I am? Oh, you're one of the prophets of this. And then he says, who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Hey, flesh and blood didn't tell you that, Peter. My Father in heaven gave you understanding of that truth. What does that mean? You're saved. You're saved. Because we believe in him who is the son of God. Hallelujah. Buddha's not, Mohammed's not, I go down the list of false religions. Not a chance. Only Jesus is the only begotten son of almighty God. Verse 51. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was Nazareth and was subject, that means obedient, unto them. 
But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. She did that often. Verse 52. Here's where I want to get to tonight. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Take notice. Jesus increased from the time he was 12 to the time he was 30. Jesus increased threefold in wisdom, in stature, and in favor. Now, the definition of wisdom, the quality or state of being wise, knowledge of what is true, all right, coupled with just judgment as to action, discernment, or insight, scholarly knowledge, or learning. But there's a difference between scholarly knowledge and learning and wisdom. You can obtain knowledge through study. Go to the library, get your library card, start reading the books on the library shelf. You can become acquainted with a lot of facts. You can increase your knowledge as far as things are concerned. You can read a book about this. You can read a book about that. You can go to school. You can study this. You can study that. You can, know how, you, you can learn how to take apart a motor and put it back together. You can learn how uh, to sew. You can learn uh, the history of the human race from, from all the sources that we have. You can become knowledgeable in a lot of things. But let me tell you something, beloved. Wisdom comes from God. Read the book of James. If any of you lack wisdom, do what? Go back to the library and read some more. That's not what it says. It, the, James said, ask God. And when you ask, ask in faith, believe it, not wavering. Because if, if, if you're wishy-washy, you're not going to receive nothing from the Lord. That's a great general principle. Wisdom comes from God. Wisdom comes from God. I know men who, who had very little education, but they prayed, and God gave them wisdom. And I use my father-in-law as an example of that. I could use several from this congregation, but I just use old Brother Lemuel. Brother Lemuel, I want to put this in the right way. It bothered him that he didn't have a proper education. He quit school and went to work. And he could write his name and he could read and he could do math and stuff. But there were, there were other things. And when this congregation first got started, he was really interested in maybe some of the folks we had who were teachers might want to do a course to help some of the older and I never, and, to, and I regret, not, and this is my deal, I never pursued that. Looking back now, I wish I had with more vigor. But, and, and the reason is this, because Brother Boland didn't have that much of an education, but you know what? He had wisdom from God. <laughs> and here, here's the truth. People with education would call him up. Uncle Lemuel, lay out their problem. They wanted to hear what Lemuel Boland had to say. Because he may not have had that, he wasn't their educational peer, but he had wisdom from God. And what use is knowledge if you don't possess the wisdom to use it the right way? Amen. So the Bible says that the Lord increased <clears throat> from the time he was 12 years old. He increased in wisdom. He increased in stature, the degree of development attained or level of achievement. He increased in this, increased in stature. He increased in the level of his achievements. He increased in favor, the state of being approved or held in regard. He increased in these things. 
from the time he was 12 to the time of his revelation to the world when he was 30. Hebrews 5 and 8, another theme that I reference often. Though he were a son, talking about Jesus, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, called of God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience. Now I shout this at Pentecostal congregations. The Lord does a lot for us. The Lord, there are a lot of things the Lord does for us we cannot do for ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot heal ourselves. We cannot deliver ourselves. In many cases, we cannot prosper ourselves, and we can't bless ourselves. But when it comes to obedience, the Lord will give us a renewed mind, but when it comes to obedience, obedience is learned. What we want is the easy way out. Lord, I want to come down to the altar. I want to lift my hands. You're going to zap me, and then I'm going to be perfectly obedient from that time forward. Ain't going to happen. We have to learn obedience. The lifestyle of a Christian is the lifestyle of discipleship. We all become students in the school of Christ. He teaches us. Now, I got a message ready to holler at y'all because everything else the Holy Ghost does besides enable me to speak in tongues. The Spirit of God, what did Jesus say? He will teach you. Why would the Holy Spirit teach us? Because we need to learn obedience. We learn it. Jesus learned it through the things which he suffered. And the writer says, and being made perfect, he becomes the author of eternal salvation unto all that obey him, unto all that believe in him. There was an education that the Lord experienced between the time he's 12 and the time that he's 30. He increases and he learns. Beloved, every, none of us in this building, I don't care. I'm looking at some folks who was born and raised in this. You don't know nothing else besides this. Mom and daddy took you to church and you went to church unless you were dead or dying. If you were sick, well, we'll get you to church and saints will pray for you. Lord will heal you. You know this inside out. In spite of that experience, which is wonderful, we all must learn. We all must become students. We all must become supple in the hands of the potter to allow him to shape us in the way that he desires. We all must submit our will to his will so that we pray the Gethsemane garden prayer. Lord, not my will, but your will be done in my life. The Lord will teach you. Jesus said, search the scriptures. Jesus said, learn of me. Learn of me. Make the effort. It's more than just coming to church two or three times a week. It is committing myself as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible says in Romans that that's not unreasonable. Let's see, what has the Lord done for me? He has forgiven me of my sins. He has washed me clean in the blood he shed on the cross. 
He has written my name in the Lamb's book of life. He has prepared a place for me in an eternal city, 1,200 miles square. Praise God. Just think of everything. He has promised to change this wretched body I live in now and give me in exchange for this a glorified body similar to the one that he had. Just take a moment and list all the things that the Lord has done for us. Is it too much for him to require of us? Having, I'm not talking working to get saved. I'm talking about having been saved and become a child of God. Is it unreasonable for him to say, present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable? Then it goes on to say, which is our reasonable service. I've seen it happen too often. I'm tired of it. Sin will get you in a mess. Sin will get you in, and it'll do it every time. It will get you in a mess. Sin will dig a pit. It'll dig a hole, it'll fill the bottom with mud, and then it'll chunk you in it. And when you get in there, you'll find that your feet are stuck and you can't get out. What the psalmist said, am I right, Brother Richard? My feet are stuck, I can't help myself, I cannot crawl out of this hole. Like them poor kids that's in that cave. Lord, have four of them got out, glory to God. Let's pray the rest of them get out. Amen. And even the coach. You might have issue with, but Lord, rescue the coach. Your sin will put you in the bottom of that hole. It'll get you stuck in the mud, and you cannot get out. And you become frustrated, and you become frightened. Then you hear a preacher talk about my man named Jesus. He can get me out of this hole. And he will. You, you say, Lord, please save me. It's what Peter prayed. Peter was going under. He's about to drown. Only reason Peter didn't drown was because he looked up and said, Lord, save me. And the Bible says immediately Jesus reached down and saved him. You know what he'll do for you if you're in that pit tonight? You say, Lord, save me. He will immediately reach. You don't have to beg him. I've seen folks, I've had to tell them, you can go ahead and thank him now because the first time you asked him, he did it. You don't have to beg him. Lord, please, please. Lord, save me. He'll do it. And he'll get you out of the mess. But human beings are insane. Thinking you can do the same thing over and over and get a different result. Whew, boy, I'm glad to be out of that hole. Now I can just go along my merry way and do what I please. You know what's going to happen in just a very short period of time? Bingo, you got it. You in a hole again. How did I get back down in this hole? Sin. Sin. Lord, help me. He'll pull you out. You know, he asked Peter, how often should I pull people out of that hole? Peter thought seven was a good Bible number. How about seven? And the Lord said, Peter, how about 70 times seven? Which means, how about as many times as they ask me? We do not deserve that. We deserve the hole. But as many times as we asked him, he'll pull us out. You know why? Because he desires to grant us an abundant life, but you cannot experience an abundant life living in sin. You can only experience an abundant life living as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And he learned. 
he learned. From 12 to 30, he learned. Through the things he suffered, he learned. And being made perfect. How many believe Jesus is perfect? Amen. That'll get you to heaven. And being made perfect, he becomes the author of what kind of salvation? Eternal salvation. Under everybody who obeys him. Obey him. Who? What list of rules do I have to? It's simple. Love God. Love your neighbor. Love your enemy. Everybody can remember that. Amen. That's what he tells us to do. A lot of times we get caught up in a lot of other stuff that the Lord never even, you know. Because if we do these things, if we obey his command, if we love God supremely, we love our neighbor as ourselves, and if we access the grace of God to love our enemies, then this lifestyle that we choose to pursue of obedience as a disciple, a student of the Lord Jesus Christ, that life will transform us. Let he who robbed banks rob banks no longer. That's a paraphrase. Let he who stole steal no more. And the Lord will give us life. The thing about it is, the life that he gives, we're still living in a sin-cursed world. We're still having to deal with stuff. Oh, Christians' lives are... No, no, no. Christians' lives are full of challenges. And the enemy will bring that up in an effort to try to discourage us. But can I ask somebody a question tonight? Are you better off now than you were when you were lost? Ha! Woo! Are you better off now than you were when you were lost? Had you rather have this life with all of the challenges and, and everything that goes with it than living out of that world? We deal with stuff, sure. And most of the stuff we deal with are the life, poor lifestyle choices of people that we love. That's what messes us up more than anything else. But, beloved, I had rather be a child of God than be out there. Because I know at the end of this path, I'm going to heaven. And people in that world are not. Amen. One last scripture. Mark 1 and 9. Came to pass in those days that Jesus came up from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan. And straightway, come, and this is where I got in trouble, down at Forks Lake. Talking about the baptism of Jesus. I stuck my big old foot in my big old mouth, for those of you who aren't aware, because i got to let everybody know. I'm going to put it in the paper, put it on the Internet, and we'll try to get on TV so everybody knows that I put my foot in my mouth at Forks Lake Assembly of God just a couple of Sunday nights ago before camp. They're remodeling their church. And, boy, I rattled back real big, for those of you who haven't heard this yet, and said, Dear Lord, I don't believe in them baptistries where the preacher don't get wet. I believe the preacher ought to get in there and get wet with everybody that's getting baptized. These guys putting these baptistries in where the preacher don't get wet, you know, I don't, you know, and, and Tim Colley is dying laughing. He's on the front pew. Now, they got three sections of pews at Forks Lake. And Brother Tim, all of you know Brother Tim, he's a the pastor there. He is, he, he's about the, the color of Sister Connie's, uh, 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 whatever she, what do you call that? Yeah, the orange thing you got on. And say, so I ain't got my glasses on, so I sweat or whatever that is. He's about that color. He is busting out laughing. People are dying laughing all over that congregation and I have an epiphany. I have a streak of understanding. They're remodeling that church, and guess what kind of baptistry they're going to put in? Yeah, buddy. And Tim, Tim, look, Brother Tim, look up. Brother Andy, you crazy. Yeah. 
I said, oh, Lord. I took the microphone, went back. I said, this baptistry looks good to me because they, the, they got the baptistry like we got. So I learned a lesson there. Shut your big old mouth when it comes to personal convictions. <laughs> Later on that week, I was with Brother uh, Alton Stokes, pastor of Grand Bay Church of God. He took me out to eat that Wednesday. And Brother Stokes and I are very dear friends, very close. Now, I love him dearly. And I said, Alton, you won't believe what I did Sunday night. And I, I told him. And then, you know what? They're building a brand new church at Grand Bay. Guess what kind of baptistry they're putting in? I thought Brother Stokes going to wreck us. He started like, oh, Brother Andy, you didn't. He just broke out laughing. <laughs> Keep this drunk in the road. I said, yes, I did. So anyway, after having taken that little detour, let us go back. Straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the Spirit, Holy Spirit, like a dove descending upon him. Now later on, the Holy Ghost is going to come down in the upper room and he's going to come down in flames of fire. Why doesn't he come down in tongues of fire, flames of fire upon Jesus? Because there ain't nothing for the Holy Spirit to deal with in the life of Jesus. So he comes down in the form of a dove and not fire. And then... There's a voice from heaven saying, You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now you would think, why would, the, why would God the Father make that statement? Because God the Son has increased in wisdom, stature, and in favor with God and man. Because God the Son has learned obedience through the things which he suffered and has been made perfect. The Lord desires to accomplish a similar work in us. We are being in the process. We are being perfected. We aren't everything we want to be. We ain't nothing like we used to be. And we are heading in the right direction. Let us pray that the Lord will bless us so that we may increase that we may embrace the life of a disciple of Jesus Christ that we may submit our will to his and say Lord not my will but your will be done stand with me all over the house he's through with me